is Digital Marketer. This week, we've got Jeff Davis. Hello, and welcome to the Digital Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Snavely, and in today's episode, we're talking about sales and marketing alignment, aka it's time to put down your weapons and give an HR-friendly hug to your sales or marketing counterpart. Because today, Jeff Davis is going to show us not only how to diagnose if you've got some misalignment going on, but also how to create togetherness between these two teams. It's not impossible. Let's do this. Here it is. Well, Jeff, hi. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you. I'm so excited to learn, number one, about misalignment, because I need to know, (laughs) you know, it's something like everyone's like, am I misaligned? Is that me? (laughs) We probably all have a little bit of misalignment in us. I know every organization has a little bit of misalignment. Right. Before we kind of dive into that, though, I want to know just where you got your start, how you became interested in this like B2B marketing and sales alignment, creating togetherness. Who are you? And how'd you get here? So actually, my undergrad degree is actually engineering. So I say that because in the beginning, I didn't realize it's one of the reasons I'm so process oriented and probably just like love data and, and kind of a nerd. Uh, and then people meet me and they're like, sales and marketing, how do you they're like, I'm like, it's a long story. So like, <laughs> but I say all that. So like after I got out of school, I went into sales by virtue of, I just like, I had a couple of mentors and advisors that were like, you really should try sales or consulting. So I started my career in healthcare sales, did really, really well. I said, at worst case scenario, if I really suck at this, I'll just go back to engineering and pretend like it didn't happen. <laughs> but it ended up like really like it connected with me. And so I was able to, to get to the top of the leaderboard and healthcare, we had a ton of really, really dr- like drastic regulation changes. And so my strategies and tactics that worked basically were gone overnight. I did what any true blue salesperson would do. I just did more of everything and it just didn't work. And so that was the beginning of me understanding like just working harder alone is not enough. And so after that, we had our director of marketing come in and, and talk about some tools and we'll get into this conversation. So I'll give the kind of cliff notes. And that conversation is when I, it dawned on me and I actually shared, shared in the book as well that marketers aren't just folks at corporate in the ivory tower that are justifying their their high salaries because what we felt in the in the, in the back in the day but there's there's actually a way we get our relationship and we get how to leverage each other that actually helps me sell more efficiently and effectively and that really was the spark to fast forward what i'm doing today in helping b2b revenue leaders so sales marketing ceos understand that like there is a ton of untapped potential and value when you just sit down with each other and learn how to work together in a meaningful and strategic way. And it doesn't take you know tons of money because we're so focused on doing more stuff, but it's doing the right stuff and being laser focused on working, working and doing it together. So that's a that's the short story of who Jeff Davis is. I, I can imagine there might there might be like some little hidden gems in there that we'll have to hopefully extract out of you. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because I don't even think I appreciate, and I think it's more common now, but the leap I was able to make from sales to marketing, I went back to business school specifically to turn myself into a marketer to selfishly advocate for salespeople at corporate to be like, that's not what salespeople want. That's not what they need. Uh, because a lot of marketers don't have hardcore sales experience. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's a perspective that is lost when you actually haven't, what they say, carried, carried a bag in the past or carried a quota. 
So that's, I think, what I bring a lot to the conversation when I'm talking to marketers. Tell me about uh, misalignment. What do, you, what do you? What does it mean? Yeah. So the, as we kind of alluded to in our conversations prior to prior to this uh, podcast, like misalignment stereotypically exists at some level in all organizations, right? Sales and marketing have been siloed for decades. Uh, it's just the way that we have done business for a number of different reasons that you know dates all the way back to the industrial revolution. So to think that there's no alignment in your organization, I think, is a little bit being a little bit naive. Now you have to evaluate whether or not you're at a point where your organization is being stifled and the growth is being stifled because of that misalignment. So there's stereotypically what I call some key triggers for you to identify if it's if this misalignment is at the point in your organization where you need to really investigate and talk about how do you transform. So first and foremost, high volume leads, low conversions. Uh, this is especially true in SaaS, where you like have, you know, I quote unquote 10,000 leads, but like only two of them convert. That's a that's a telltale sign that we need to do something different and there's misalignment between the two. Salespeople ignoring leads coming from marketing is another one. If you know marketing is hitting their MQL targets, but sales is just not either A, not accepting them, not taking them seriously, or don't trust that they're going to be good, there's some issues there. Also, if sales and marketing leadership use different numbers or different data to evaluate performance, huge one that goes unchecked. Uh, I had a conversation actually on my podcast, theelementpodcast.com, where the CEO said he was like, I literally would have quarterly business reviews. Marketing would come in and say, everything's amazing. We have 20,000 MQLs. The conference went great. We're really excited about a website lift. Awesome. And then sales would come right back and say, everything is terrible. We can't get the right leads. No one wants to talk to us. And he's like, I don't understand how, this, how these two things can coexist. So those are a few, a few of the ones. The other one I would uh, I add before we transition into the next one is a lack of sharing business intelligence between the two teams. That's another one that I see uh, that is huge. You know, I think a lot of what you noted, it's, it's that misalignment of goals. It's the misalignment of numbers. So how do you make sure that your data is correct? Yeah, so it's 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 a twofold question to be honest with you. So mm-hmm. there is a data accuracy standpoint or data cleanliness standpoint and then there's a aligned data set. So on the on the the first one on the former one, but businesses have to realize that data integrity or data degrades faster than ever before. I had I had the one of the founders of insidesales.com which is now Zant. We had a great conversation and he talked about the fact that the average shelf life for B2B data now is about three years. And so after three years, it, you really need to do a data dump because that data is so degraded over time with people moving, changing positions, et cetera. If you aren't refreshing that data or making sure um, that you're doing some type of controls, uh, you are using basically bad resources to try to connect with the consumer Mm. so that, you know, whether you do that internally, if you have a resource and, or you, you know, you're using somebody like zoom.com or whoever it is, you need to make sure that the lifeblood of your organization, which is data nowadays, right? Like data basically is more expensive or more valuable than oil. You got to make sure that the, you know, that, that stuff is taken care of and then that it's clean and accurate. So, so that's the first, when you look at the, when you look at data, the second one, is making sure that your data sets are aligned across sales and marketing. So often we are using different data sets because we're pulling from different different technology tools, right? Mm. And so a lot of times why you see this disconnect between what sales is seeing and marketing is saying, it's not necessarily that they, you know, or not telling the truth. It's just that they have a siloed perspective. So it's almost like putting one hand over your eye and that's how they see the world. 
So it can start as easy as coming together, you know, with weekly growth team meetings, revenue growth team meetings, and having an aligned dashboard that you can pair data and just making sure that you're on the same page and then make sure that you have the same KPIs. So I think that's a great place to start. And then over time, you, you can integrate the data sets. And again, if you have a dedicated headcount for that or you source that out uh, over time, but you can take baby steps. But the, the first step is just, do we agree on the fundamental KPIs and are we seeing the world in the same way first? Uh, and then you can go from there. Hmm. So does that include definitions of like what a, an MQL or an HQL would mean absolutely because <laughs> and i talk about this in the book of uh, the fact that i had somebody at one of the I, so I, I host a event called the sales and marketing alignment summit which is for sales marketing and other revenue generating executives ceos as well and one of the panels i had two years ago talked about the fact that they they were sitting in a meeting and literally realized 45 minutes in they were not, they didn't have the same definition of what they were talking wow. about. And so they were talking over each other and getting upset and like, but they were like, our definitions of what we were talking about weren't the same. So we had to circle back all the way to the beginning of the meeting to level set on what we meant by the different terminology. So you absolutely have to sit down with sales and marketing and, and first and foremost, define what your, what a lead is. If, you know, if sales is not involved in lead scoring, that is an issue. What is a QL, What is an MQL if you still use them? Some people are trying to kill MQLs. That's a different conversation for a different day. But you know, what's an SQL? All those things have to be defined. And I think a lot of companies are assuming that everybody gets it and has the same definition and probably haven't revisited those, those terminologies for quite some time. So yes, you are 200% correct. We have got to be really, really clear on on what those definitions are. So make sure that we're, st- we're starting from the same place. Yeah, and I'm sure even beyond that, there's kind of the mat the the whole matter of like my MQL is not is not your you know is not the customer that you're hoping to talk to, or the the person I consider a highly qualified lead is actually a totally different avatar that you guys aren't even you know, looking at, like, how do you make sure that the personas, the avatars that you're, you're focusing on are, are the same? Yeah. And I think this is where you get into that, you know, lead scoring and really understanding what a true lead is. And I, and I, and I cringe a little bit when I say that word, because I don't really like it, but for the context of what we're talking about, it's important because where a lot of marketers kind of stop the conversation is these are our MQLs, we've achieved our you know quota or quantity, whatever, it's sales, like you figure it out. And what we, what we don't really talk about more about is that all of the activities that we do are interdependent. So if you're going to have a aligned revenue engine, you really have to start at the revenue goal that you're trying to achieve and then back into all the way up to what does that look like at top of funnel? What, you know, what, is, you know, what, our, what does our demand team need to do? But they have got to be focus on the same type of people, right? Who are we trying to get in front of? And not just the type of accounts. Uh, I've had sales leaders say like, look, you know, we're, we're, get, we're getting connected with the type of accounts, but marketing's not helping us get in front of the right people to have the right conversations. And you can only do that when you're aligned and to your point, those avatars and customer personas are, you know, focused on what who sales needs to talk to to pull that through. And, and beyond that, kind of getting into you know, once, once you've made those definitions, once you've decided what your goals are, what the data is, you know, most teams probably have to look at like, okay, well now what is the process of how we're getting this done? 
How do you go about that? Yeah, so I think the easiest way to do that is uh, to do a buyer, well, to map the buyer's journey. If you've if you've done that, great. If you have not do that, I highly suggest you take the time again, sitting down with sales and marketing and mapping that out. And you've got to talk to the customer in order to get that right. You cannot create a accurate buyer's journey. It's never going to be 120% accurate, but you cannot do it without the perspective of customers that have actually gone through the process because a lot of what happens in the buyer's journey happens behind closed doors and internal meetings that you will never know about. All of the nuances and intricacies and relationships and who knows who, you just don't know. So it's important to talk to customers that you have really great relationships with and get their perspective of and just map it out based on what they say. But also talk to customers that, you know, were close, close loss and see where maybe there are opportunities that you could have done it better um, so that you can then try to develop a map that's as close to reality of what your customers uh, or your target customers are going through in order for you then to be able to have some some visibility into what they need during each stage uh, of their progression throughout the buying process. Because what a lot of us are so focused on uh, is what we want them to do at each stage or each phase. And really, we've got to turn that around and say, what do they need? What questions do they need to answer to feel comfortable moving to the next stage? And I think when you set it up that way, it really helps you to be more customer centric. And then once you have that mapped out, what you know, uh, you can then step back and say, okay, let's do an audit of all of the content that we have. And I like to call them interactions because the, the today's modern buyer doesn't care about sales and marketing. They don't care where the information is coming from. They just want it. Mm. So I like to call them sales and marketing interactions. And so basically, you know, I put a grid together to, to delineate each phase of the, of the the modern buying cycle, think through what the goal is for the target buyer. What do they need to achieve to move to the next the next phase, right? And then map out or list all of the resources or interactions we have that would be appropriate for that particular phase. That way, it allows us to be a little bit more agile instead of just saying, you know, like a linear stepwise motion of like we do this and then we do this and then they get this and then they get this, which we know today just with the fluidity of everything, we just can't do that anymore. Do you consider that once once you've kind of mapped out that journey, do you consider that a living document or a plan? Oh, ab- absolutely a living document. Because what what I think is really great, first of all, what it does, it, it, it clearly identifies where you have gaps. And and in sales will tell you, you know, if you're if they're hitting a snag in the road at, at a particular stage, that's probably where you need to kind of put your head together and figure like how do we get what they need in order to be able to get through that more smoothly. But I think you you definitely have to revisit that because, you know, take, for instance, Corona. You know, I don't know exactly when people will hear this conversation. The plan that you had <laughs> last year or even beginning of this year literally may not be relevant. Yeah. You know, like buyers, taste change. People, different people enter the 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 buying team. Like, Things change, so I, you know, I definitely would say at least revisiting that once or twice throughout the year, just to to see whether or not it's still relevant, and 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 do you have other resources that either need to be taken out or added to the mix? And yeah, probably when there's you know uncertain times, probably doing it even more often because even if even if things do reopen, you're going to have a lot of different sentiment across different customers. Yeah, and and we had to keep in mind too, right? If we get too rigid in the process, because we're not operating in this stepwise linear sales process anymore, 
if we do that, we can miss opportunities. Case in point, you know, let's say somebody downloads a white paper, right? They, they're really excited about what this is and they contact you and say, hey, based on this, and this, this may or may not happen, I want to just talk about like some minor things because we, we think we're ready to buy. So don't make them start all the way at the beginning of the process. Say, well, we got to talk to a BDR, SDR, then we may upgrade you to A. Like if they're telling you, like based on this and whatever else we've researched, we basically just need to talk to like an AE and close, then get them there. Have them bypass, have the flexibility to bypass based on what the customer needs versus forcing them through this rigid sales process. Because a lot of times it just adds unnecessary friction. And we know like, you know, customer experience is number one priority. And I think it was the 2020 study by Walker that showed us that customer experience will be more important than price and product which we are seeing right now, and I would argue actually probably happened in 2019, if not sooner. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we definitely are in the midst of that. Like CX is paramount for folks to make a quick buying decision. So get them to where they need to get as quickly as possible. Hmm. So within the process, I know that you talk a lot about um, account-based marketing, account-based strategies. So, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of that is, is very central to sales orgs. And I think a lot more a lot more sales and enterprise businesses will have more familiarity so for for those of us listening that are maybe more marketing or smaller business based could you t- talk a little bit about what that means yeah so account based and you hit the nail on the head really has not necessarily been as new to sales like they they do kind of operate in this if, uh, especially at the the enterprise level i think what has changed is that the technology has allowed small organizations to be able to do this without the heavy lifting and costs associated with historically you know really highly orchestrated account based marketing campaigns i i think of it really really simply as a way to provide 360 degree coverage to high value accounts so that you have an orchestrated effort that is personalized in order to get them to close faster. And so ABM or account-based strategy is not for every type of account. There are definitely some prerequisites and I talk about it in the book. You know, you have to have, you know, accounts that are that the sales cycle is, you know, months, not weeks. You have to have several, you know, key stakeholders that are important to to get consensus in order to close. Um, there, there, there's definitely things that you want to make sure that are in place. You also want to look at that it's a high value account. This is not something that you would put against lower value accounts that close pretty quickly. But it allows you to, you know, in essence of it's account-based marketing, you align sales and marketing, and even sometimes product really early in the process, uh, especially around the account selection, to make sure you guys have a kind of a rallying vision around who this, who these type of accounts should be, and then how you collectively uh, orchestrate your engagement with them. So mm. I, I, I love the fact that a lot of small organizations are taking this in. And again, it doesn't have to be, you know, and it shouldn't be a hundred accounts uh, that you're putting, you know, ABM strategy against. It should be a small, small number. And obviously it depends on the size of your organization where you, you know, have the, the bandwidth to put some really, you know, orchestrated campaigns around that sales can pull through. But yeah, I'm excited about ABM. I love ABM. I think it's just it's a it's a it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, it's a really cool idea. Well, and also I, I feel like it just it kind of allows sales to take the lead on on the marketing a little bit. And mm-hmm. yeah, I feel like that's it's a good practice 
<laughs> and it also and it also forces marketing to be more transparent about what's coming. Mm. Uh, I always argue that marketers tend to do a very poor job of selling their value to sales. That's just I don't yeah. think it's a natural inclination for marketing people to be like, we're going to sell how amazing we are to salespeople. No, a lot of us are like, they should just get it, which we know does not work. But what ABM does is it says like, look, we got this like coordinated calendar. Sales knows exactly what's happening. They're bought in. Uh, and so it actually helps marketers to, I think, first of all, they get higher compliance. But I think also, too, it, it clearly demonstrates to sales what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head with like leading into the next little pillar about clarity and alignment and having this kind of clear vision. Tell me a little bit about how you can get your communication aligned. Yeah. So, so when you look at the three pillars, again, for alignment transformation, their data process and communication, communication is one that I think for many is a little bit more challenging and that people don't take as serious, serious as they should. They're all obviously really important. They're foundational uh, pillars, but communication is important because when we don't have clear and formalized and formalized is key. Ad hoc meetings between sales and marketing is not going to work. We're at a process or a point now where if you're going to really build a high-performing revenue engine, you have to have formalized feedback between sales and marketing. Mm. And what I say is stereotypically, marketing teams have a mechanism in order to communicate with sales. But more often than not, sales doesn't have a mechanism to communicate with marketing. And I don't just mean sales leadership. I actually mean frontline salespeople. Oh. And, and to do it in a formalized way, because what you find many times is that depending on the size of the organization, by time that it's rolled up all the way up to leadership, things either get scrubbed or they don't have the same rawness as you would get from a frontline person. Right. And so if you lose that nuance, sometimes the, the message that is in that gets lost. And so the communication pillar is all about setting up a formalized feedback loop. Uh, between the two teams so that you can share information, tap into this tribal knowledge that you both have, because salespeople have a ton of untapped business intelligence, in my opinion. I tell marketing leaders all the time, I said, if you're not asking salespeople for their feedback, you are really missing the boat when it comes to free market research. That is timely <laughs> and like literally up to the minute. And so, you know, beyond that, you also have to, you know, really put these growth team meetings together on a consistent basis so that you can review not just what's working, but really do a deep dive into pipeline. And that's what the what the focus of those meetings should be uh, every time the sales and marketing leaders are getting together. Do you have any initial recommendations for, for someone who's like, I know we should be meeting, like, should it be once a week, once a month? What do you think? Yeah, so I I believe in in other leaders that I've talked to, a weekly growth team, or you can call it revenue growth team, whatever that looks like, uh, should be meeting on a weekly basis. And so that's a cross-functional team of sales, uh, marketing, potentially sales enablement if you have those uh, on the team, and then maybe a customer success. Uh, obviously, depends on if you have those departments or not. And the objective or goal of that meeting is very clear. It is reviewing pipeline, pipeline development. So that's looking at the campaigns that marketing is running on uh, top of the funnel and making sure those are translating to sales and, and really having thoughtful conversations about are the results that marketing is anticipating happening on the sales end? And if they are great, how can we continue to increase that success? And uh, if they're not, what do we need to tweak so that that sales leader can then go in and you know, potentially communicate that with his, 
his his or her team, and that marketing can adjust potentially how they're you know the motions that they're putting in against uh, across the across the uh, demand gen or or however they're going across those campaigns. So that should be happening at, at minimum on a weekly basis. I mean, you know, really a great you know depends on how you you run things, but you know a, a touch base on Monday morning to just review, like, how have we been doing? What are you seeing? That sort of thing. In addition to that, there needs to be feedback to the broader sales and marketing team, which a lot of folks don't take the time to. Those are things you can probably do on a monthly or monthly or quarterly cadence, mm-hmm. where you're reporting back to the organization at large on how we're progressing to achieving our revenue goal. And, you know, highlighting, you know, instances where sales and marketing have worked together well, highlighting, you know, making a direct link to the, the, the things that you've asked them to do and how that's helping us achieve our goals. So I suggest a growth team meeting weekly and then a cross-functional uh, sales and marketing meeting across the organization monthly or quarterly. Okay. Yeah, that get, like gives you like a, a first little step. And I think if you set those meetings, you can start picking apart the data, deciding on your process. Yeah. And that's why I say, like, be very thoughtful about the agenda in that meeting. That meeting is not just to get together and talk shop and, and you know, see what you're working on, see what I'm working on. It's all focused on a pipeline. And so literally it is a deep dive pipeline review. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if you're running an ABM campaign mm-hmm. and talking about those those top tier accounts to see where things are so that you can then disseminate those, the, the output of that meeting to your team and move forward. Awesome. Um, Jeff, I know... We're kind of getting to the end of the hour, but I know you have a little more to share as far as some some action steps, some action items. Yeah. So we just fresh off the presses. So uh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> this is a secret. We developed uh, out these, what, we call, what we're calling right now, the seven steps to aligning sales and marketing. So this is an outgrowth of the three pillars of alignment transformation. So the three pillars of alignment transformation are really the foundation of where you need to develop strategies around data process communication. So we did, we stepped back and we looked at, you know, all the interactions that we have with clients, uh, looking at companies that are being, that are really successful at doing this right. Uh, and then also looking at the research. And so we developed these seven steps to be really a, a strategic, but a little bit more tactical roadmap uh, where people can kind of sit down and say like, okay, this is what stage we're in and let's make sure that we check the box on this before we move on. Because what I know and what I continue to sell people is aligning sales and marketing is not going to happen in a day or a week or even a month. It is a strategic business transformation. So you have to go into it as such. And if you go into it with any other kind of mindset, I just warn you that you're going to be very disappointed. So let's go through the seven steps really quickly, really high level. I don't want to spend <laughs> an hour, but I'll, I'll share the steps and then the overall goals and kind of give a, a couple of um, examples to, to to give some context. So there's seven steps in the process. So step one is assess. Step two is quantify. Step three is model. Step four is secure sponsorship. Step five is share data. Step six is develop process, and step seven is collaborate. So I'll say that once again really quickly. Assess, quantify, model, secure sponsorship, share data, develop process, and collaborate. So to give you a little bit more, so the assess step, which is step one, is the goal there is to assess if misalignment is having a significant impact on revenue growth. So that goes back to our early conversation about triggers, right? So uh, high volume leads, low close rates, things like that. Yep, boom, definitely we have an alignment issue. Why this step is so important is that there are many organizations that are, I would say, in disbelief or 
illusions of grandeur yes. <laughs> that this is not an issue. And so if you are that that alignment champion, it's important for you to, to build a business case to give specific examples so that people really can understand mm-hmm. with their hearts and minds that this is an endeavor worth going after, right? Mm-hmm. Second step is to quantify the impact. Again, you're not going to get anybody to make this kind of change if, they, if it's not attached to some type of uh, uh, quantifiable value, uh, quantifiable loss to the organization. So this is really about making sure you're looking at the right metrics, not just pure volume growth. So this is customer acquisition costs, lead to close ratios, things like that, that are indicative of having aligned uh, revenue engine. Third is model. This is where I suggest sales and marketing leaders, they're, you know, they're buddy-buddy, they're friends, they've agreed we're going on this journey together. They go to talk to the CFO and propose a new way to go to market. Right. And that is going to impact, potentially, right, um, sales compensation plans and probably also marketing's compensation plan because I continue to argue and you know I hide when I say this for marketers, but your variable income should be attached to a revenue target, like right? oh. just call a spade a spade, right? After that, we got to get sponsorship from the CEO and the executive team. So that's when we get to present that model to the team. If you skip this step, let me be super clear. Your efforts to align sales and marketing will be short-lived or not work at all. You have to have the support from the CEO and you have to go beyond support to that CEO sponsoring this initiative. And here's the number one reason why. You're going to have a lot of mid-market leaders well, folks that may have been there for a while or people that just don't, that are not bought in, that may just resist. And if you need that coverage, you need that sponsorship from the CEO to say like, look, this is the way we're going and you need to get on board. And so that's why it's important to make sure you do not skip that step. Mm. And then we go into uh, the three pillars of alignment transformation, which is around sharing data, which we talked about in our earlier part of our conversation, developing out that process so that sales and marketing leaders can step back and understand the entire buyer's journey, because that's the only way you're going to be able to optimize and really truly understand what's working and, and what's not working. Sales and marketing leaders cannot create and not optimize the process only looking at their silo. It's impossible. And then last but not least, it's collaborate, which is you know developing those formal feedback loops between sales and marketing so that we can learn from each other, tap into that tribal knowledge. Uh, and then move together and moving forward in a uh, agile way that allows us to bend and flex as we need to as customers' demands and needs uh, change over time. So again, assess, quantify, model, secure sponsorship, share data, develop process, and collaborate. Fresh off the presses, seven steps to aligning sales and marketing. Oh my gosh. Woo! That... That is good stuff. And it also illuminates <laughs> to people like, this is a process. This is a journey. I use the word journey on purpose. I want, I don't want people to say, like, Jeff Davis is going to come in here and fix this overnight. I'm like, right. that's not what's happening. Yeah, it's a group work has to be done. Work has to be done. But again, this is not just, this is not just frivolous work, right? These are things that are going to have impacts on making the marketing team and the sales team more effective and achieve their goals faster. And and ultimately, you know, people sometimes miss things. It's like, at the end of the day, this is to make your job easier. Because when you have synergy with your team and you're able to launch a campaign and sales is on board and they're like driving to help you get the results you want to achieve, that's awesome. That just feels good. Instead of badgering them to be like, did you do what I said? Did you do what I said? (laughs) Did you do this? Did you see this? Like no one wants to do that. Yeah. Collaboration is everything. Everything. And it's becoming more and more important. And it's really been elevated to uh, a strategic advantage 
in the marketplace. Damn. Damn. Um, yeah, things are getting real. Yeah. Well, I have one final question. It's a question we ask of every first-time guest on the Digital Marketer Podcast. But before I do that, I'd love to know where people can go to find out more about you, about creating togetherness, um, about your book, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so really excited. We'll be launching the audiobook at the end of July. Uh, I got a lot of requests from salespeople, especially they're like, Jeff Davis, we need an audiobook. So, <laughs> so I was coerced to do the audiobook, uh, actually self narrated. So, we'll see how that went. I'm looking forward to people's feedback. So, again, so easiest way to find me is uh, my website, which is meetjeffdavis.com. And then uh, social media is the same handle across all social media, which is at Meet Jeff Davis. So that's LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Super easy to find me. Uh, if you want to pick up a copy of the book, whether it be the paperback, the ebook, and or the audiobook coming soon, you can go to createtogethernessbook.com. That's createtogethernessbook.com. And then last but not least, uh, my podcast, The Alignment Podcast, where we talk to B2B revenue leaders about strategically aligning sales and marketing, very much like the conversation we had today, can be found at thealignmentpodcast.com. Perfect. Yeah, I was I was going through it earlier and I was like, oh my God, we only have like, you know, less than an hour <laughs> I try to, <laughs> to be do all as, of this. as efficient and, and time sensitive as possible, but I really encourage the the podcast, you know, I know I'm not just plugging it because it's mine, but what it allowed me to do is bring people to the table that might not necessarily talk to each other about this topic. So we're targeting CEOs, uh, sales mm -hmm. leaders, marketing leaders, and then also what I call human collaboration specialists. So psychologists, neurologists to help us understand how humans collaborate. So to your point earlier, uh, with collabor collaboration becoming more and more important, how do we do that? We're, we're humans. We're not robots. So I love those kind of conversations. Yeah. That's so cool. Okay. Well, Jeff, our very final question is this. If you could go back in time and tell Jeff Davis, the you that was the engineer, you know, getting your start before you even, before you even took a sales job, if you could tell that version of yourself anything at all, knowing what you know now, what would you tell him and why? Relax. It's all going to work out. Oh, and, and I say that, you know, you know, I've been blessed that, you know, uh, as I get into my, my upper years, whatever that means, and I won't relate to either not offend or whatever. I was that stereotypical, like OCD, uh, high achiever student, right? Like that's who I was in, in high school and one of the reasons I became an engineer. Uh, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. And I've found over time that when I relax and just breathe and like have my North Star, things just fall into place. Yeah. And you are so much in a better place to be able to receive it and show up when it does than if you're beating yourself into the ground and then you get it, you're like, oh God, now I need a nap. So that's what I would tell myself. Relax. It's going to all work out. That's awesome. I need to, I needed to hear that. I think <laughs> we all, look, we all do, especially right now. I mean, right. I'm telling you, I, you know, becoming an entrepreneur and starting my own business and, and going out on my own, beyond just you know the business acumen that I've, that I've picked up through doing going through this whole journey the personal exploration that I've gone on like I now meditate every day I take mental breaks I read more I just take better care of myself oh. because what it forced me to realize is you you don't get to hide 
in a team like you do in a in an organization, especially a large one. Wow. And when it's you and you got to show up for a keynote or you got to show up for a client, like you have you learn, you're forced to learn how to take care of yourself because there's not a backup. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that I have really cherished, which I had no idea that I would be going this way. Of like, even my friends are like, oh my God, he's on this whole meditation thing and taking care of self-care. Oh my gosh, I'm telling you, it's so important. <laughs> Take your vitamins, drink your water. <laughs> but yeah, that's, I think that's one of the hugest things um, that I've learned personally beyond the business of it. Like all that stuff matters so much. Yeah, it really does for just like your mental well-being. It's something I've learned just being in, in quarantine and realizing like I have to make actual actual decisions to take care of myself. I can't just like get up, roll into, roll into work, <laughs> you know, yeah. scarf down a lunch and then go watch TV. Like even if I did start doing that, it, it becomes such a burden on, on my mental health. Yeah. And I've, I've become more intentional about my decisions because, you know, before quarantine, you know, I was traveling so much that, you know, it's easy to get lazy when you travel, mm. like so easy. And what I would find is that a lot of times I would travel, I'd just be like so beat up, especially in the beginning. And so it, it was simple stuff like drinking more water and being thoughtful and getting better sleep and, you know, taking time to meditate and all, all those things and trying not to overdo because I was like packing in like to every second of my day something to do. And sometimes mm-hmm. you just need space to think. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I know we weren't really supposed to go on that tangent. But. No, I see. That's the kind of stuff I love. That's why I love doing this podcast is we get stuff like that because we're all humans, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. So we're not robots. Trust me, if we were, this alignment thing would be so much easier because I would just write some code. <laughs> then I'd be out of business. Right. Well, so. thank you so much for, for all your, your wisdom and yeah, just your seven steps and your frameworks. It helps so much when you put it into a, something outlined as well as that. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me on the show. I, you know, I have a very soft spot for my marketing colleagues. I love us. And so, you know, whatever I can do to help us elevate our game and just like everybody just to win. I'm all about, you know, we can all win. We we work together in a different way. So I appreciate you giving me the time and space to be able to share that message. And to everyone listening, it means so much to have a little bit of your day each week. And we'll see you same time, same place next week. Goodbye. Hey, DM listeners, if you're running a Black Friday or Cyber Monday special, listen up, because Digital Marketer just released our Canva holiday promo pack. It includes almost 200 templates that you can use to make the graphics for all your upcoming holiday specials and three unique design themes for each holiday. The promo pack is usually $27, but you can get it today for free. Check the show notes for the link to download, or you can go directly to digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates. That's digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates.